0: It's the Hilarious World of Depression. This is a program where we talk to comedians and entertainers and listeners and people who are famous and people who are not famous all about their experiences with mental health and with depression in particular. A reminder to swing by our Facebook page. Lots of great conversation happening there with our listeners. New shows developing, just burbling out of nothing right there in front of you. It's a very exciting place. I'm John Moe, and it is okay and good that I am hosting this program. I deserve to host this program. Millions of people download our episodes, and we hear the show has had a huge positive impact on their lives, and it's okay and good that I'm here, and I will not be exposed as a complete fraud. There won't be a group of uniformed government thugs showing up at my office door today saying, Mr. Mo, please come with us. Your secret has been exposed. And then they drag me to an interrogation room where the lead guy asks me just how long I thought I could get away with this. That's not going to happen. None of that's going to happen. Or so I keep telling myself. Because the thing I'm describing is imposter syndrome. It's a psychological pattern where a person doubts their accomplishments and fears being exposed as a fraud. I should add that many successful people I know whom I've asked about this have some experience dealing with imposter syndrome. A lot of people I talk to say, oh, yeah, that thing. If you have accomplishments and humility, it may well show up. And most people can recognize it and disregard it. For a lot of folks dealing with depression, however, it can seem like a much bigger deal. I think it might be because the concept of the self gets so diminished. These folks with depression can't hold themselves in high regard. They can't trust their identity. And so they feel like a fraud already all the time, just existing. So you put a personal or career achievement against that and life can feel very rickety indeed. And then the imagination kicks in and then the government thugs show up. It's all about those thugs darn thugs. Now, there are frauds out there in the world. Of course, we've all seen them. And we're not here to talk about them today. We're going to talk about the rest of us. And by talking about the issue and laughing about our common experiences, we'll try to take imposter syndrome's power down a notch or two. A while back, we asked you, our listeners, for your stories of confronting imposter syndrome and the creative ways you deal with it. And you came through.
1: My name is Shannon Cheng and I'm from Minneapolis. I'm a nurse and I take my job very seriously. It's the one place where things usually go well and I feel the least impostery on most days. I got nominated for Minnesota Nurse of the Year in my field. I thought it was nice, but figured everyone gets nominated, don't feel special. Then I was named a top five finalist. But Clint e. D tried to tell me what the committee did was put all of the nominees' names in a hat and just pulled out five random names. I went to the awards banquet. When my name was announced as winner, I was sure they were just naming the fourth runner-up first. Then it became obvious I was expected to stand up and go collect my award and make a little speech. My brain did really interesting things to me at that point. Rather than properly embrace the moment and be proud of myself for something that intellectually I knew I deserved, I just dismissed the award as something really ridiculous. And despite congratulations from my manager and literally hundreds of other people, the meanest parts of my brain still diminish the award to this day. Imposter syndrome is really mean. (laughs)
2: My name is Jamie Cressberg and I live in New York City with my wife and two children. I first experienced imposter syndrome as a college student at Harvard back in 1987 when I was a freshman. And even now, over 30 years later, there is a, still a part of me that feels I didn't deserve my spot at that prestigious university.
0: Jamie says imposter syndrome has been around most of his life. But a while back, he read an article about something called the Dunning-Kruger effect.
2: Dunning and Kruger are these two social scientists, and they studied the relationship between how confident people are and how well they actually perform. And what these guys found is that people of really low ability suffer from something called illusory superiority. Um, So these totally incompetent people are so blinded by their ineptitude and they have such a lack of self-awareness that they think they're doing great and they're super smart and capable. Um, So I thought about that, and I'm not a social science professor, but I do have a little kind of corollary theory that's based on the Dunning-Kruger effect. And my theory is that those of us who are aware of our shortcomings and don't suffer from illusory superiority are actually very capable. So in other words, if you think you might be incompetent, um, you might actually be doing pretty well. So um, the self-awareness is important, and those of us who have it um, are relatively in good shape so i'm I'm not sure my theory would hold up to any kind of scientific scrutiny but it is kind of a comforting thought that i like to remind myself of when imposter syndrome starts to invade my brain
0: so jamie comes up with inverted social science models that's how he deals with it not everyone is so academically inclined when it comes to imposter syndrome Caitlin Kennedy in Austin, Texas, has depression and imposter syndrome and works as a freelance writer. So it's part of her job to convince people that what she makes is good and valuable, which is kind of a tricky spot she's in. But she came up with a kind of odd but effective solution.
3: But it really works for me. I imagine that I have been invited to a dinner party and every person that I hate is going to be there. Now, I can count that as annoying co-workers, frenemies from high school, someone who has really pissed me off lately, just whatever version of it it is. And what that forces me to do is it forces me to think, if that person were to come up to me and say, oh, how are things going? What would I say? How could I spin what's going on in my life to sound powerful and confident and impressive, you know, to really to really kind of put a show on for, you know, this person who's rooting against me. And the crazy thing is, it forces me to realize that, you know, the stuff that I do is cool, and the stuff that I do is good, and that I have a lot of stuff going for me, and my work is impressive, and I always walk out of that fictional dinner party, not only supremely confident that I would make it through the night just fine, but with this newly rejuvenated look at my work and what I'm capable of. And it has saved me so many times.
0: Creativity, imagination, using your mind's good skills to fight your mind's bad tendencies. Speaking of bad tendencies, how about organized crime?
4: Hi, this is Kyla Schultz from Carlisle, Pennsylvania. My advice, watch Goodfellas. I'm funny how? I mean, funny like I'm a clown. I amuse you. I make you laugh. I'm serious. It will help you. It's profound. It's amazing. And for all those reasons, I can fully endorse it as a great way to start to get yourself out of that mental spiral that takes you down when you doubt yourself and you're successful. I know that the characters are thieving, murdering gangsters, but they're so sure of themselves. They're amazing. And I'm so jealous of that every time I watch that movie. I I think of the opening scene where Henry Hill is helping commit a murder and he shuts the the trunk door and he's so excited.
5: As far back as I could remember, I always wanted to be a gangster.
4: That's kind of what I want out of life and what I want to overcome. I, I don't want to be doubting myself and never able to to take a success and enjoy it. I'm not saying that we should all um, become gangsters and and start doing those kind of things, but I think that we should all be able to channel a bit of that gangster swagger and enjoy our successes without shame and, and go for it completely and totally.
0: Just to back up what Kyla said, the hilarious world of depression does not suggest or endorse the idea of becoming an influential mobster in the 70s and 80s. Nothing that could lead to Ray Liotta, Joe Pesci, or Robert De Niro portraying you. We're just here to help. We're here to maybe make you laugh like a a clown. Is that it? We amuse you. Well, let's hear from somebody who is an expert on the subject. Dr. Valerie Young is the author of The Secret Thoughts of Successful Women, Why Capable People Suffer from the Imposter Syndrome and How to Thrive in Spite of It. She is an expert on imposter syndrome or she's a complete fraud and uh, will blow the whistle on her because she's not an expert at all. It's, it's, the, it's the great paradox, isn't it? <laughs>
6: Perfect. There is a certain irony there, isn't there? There sure is.
0: Uh, you're not a fraud whatsoever, and don't let anyone tell you you are. I know so many people who this has affected, and it almost makes me think it affects everyone. who Who is likely to have imposter syndrome?
6: You know, it's... It's very uh, predominant internationally, cross culturally, men and women, uh, anybody who's you know in any kind of achievement track. You could be a you know a, a, in a community college, or you could be the the CEO of an organization, or have just won a, an Oscar award. So it really is a wide cross section of people. But I mean, you have to have feel have have achieved something to feel like an uh, imposter. About
0: is it a? I mean, I, one of our listeners brought up like if somebody really thinks they belong there and is completely confident that, yes, I have earned every bit of what I have, then that person seems a little suspect, almost as if the imposter syndrome is the healthy response.
6: You know, I hear that a lot. You know, I think it's a false choice. The choice is I'm either an arrogant jerk (laughs) who's totally full of myself or I feel like a complete imposter. And there certainly, trust me, there are people, the irrational self-confidence syndrome, you know, the smartest guy in the room. There are those people on the other end of the continuum, and it's actually quite well documented. But I think that there's a kind of a place in the middle where you can, uh, you know, have got healthy self-confidence without feeling like an imposter and humility at, at the same time.
0: What's the link with depression? Because our show is about depression, and I know that not everybody with depression probably has this, but uh, it sure seems to come up a lot.
6: Yeah, absolutely. And I want to say right off the top that I'm not, you know, I'm not a, a psychologist, but sure. you know, I mean, common sense tells us and research tells us that there, there certainly can be a link. Uh, I think it's hard to kind of parse out sometimes, you know, am I depressed because I feel like an imposter or do I feel like an imposter and that's really depressing me? Um, but there is a link, and this is where I think we can kind of get into contextualizing things. I, this is one of these topics, and it might sound surprising to hear me say this, but I think we kind of over-psychologize it. Because if you look at it within a social context, we know, for example, that ser- people in certain fields, uh, people in medicine, people in tech are more susceptible to imposter feelings because you know, it's such a fast-paced, ever-changing environment that no human on the planet could ever keep up. Similarly, people in creative fields actors, artists, uh, you know, singers, um, et cetera, producers even, have these feelings because they're being judged by subjective standards by people whose job title is professional critic. So when you put it in that context, give me one quick example. Graduate students have six times the rate of depression than of people who aren't in a graduate program. That tells you something about, you know, in this case, kind of, I think, academic culture or how the environment can contribute to imposter feelings.
0: I can't imagine there's any magical wand-waving cure for this kind of thing. But in your experience, what's the best way to uh, live as healthy a life as you can when you're up against something like this? What do you suggest uh, the approach be?
6: One that I don't suggest is just plain talking about it. And there are some folks out there that, that maintain the more you talk about it, the better you'll feel. Talking about it is a really important first step. But I see people who get stuck in therapy—and let me be clear, I'm a fan of therapy—but they can get stuck there talking about it for years, you know, if it's not one thing, it's your mother, and they never quite get to the solution because the solution comes down to thinking differently about competence, about failure, about criticism, and about fear.
0: It's almost a cognitive behavioral therapy thing, like you're rerouting the thoughts and trying to get them out of the unhealthy patterns.
6: Definitely, because when you feel like an imposter, you are crushed by even constructive criticism. But people who don't feel like imposters, they seek it out. You know, even if someone says, wow, you nailed it, you crushed it, that was incredible. They're going to say, thank you so much. What's one thing I could have done even better? Because they're trying to constantly improve and get better. uh, And, you know, instead of seeing themselves as a final, final, complete uh, work. One
0: more question so you have been studying this for a long time. You have a PhD. You've written a book about imposter syndrome. Do you still have imposter syndrome?
6: Uh, yeah, it, it, absolutely. I mean, it's, again, because I'm normalizing it. So, but what happens is when I have what I think of as a normal imposter moment, then the goal is to kind of not never feel this way again. If I do, that's great. But for me, the goal is more to have the tools and the insight and the perspective to talk yourself down faster. So instead of having an imposter life, you have an imposter moment.
0: Dr. Valerie Young, or someone posing as her, thank you so much.
7: Thank you. I'm Pauline, and I'm from northern Germany. As part of a scholarship, I joined an interdisciplinary working group during college. The group investigated group differences and the social concepts behind them. To say the least, I felt inadequate, like I was wasting someone's space who could actually contribute something worth considering. The worst part? I felt like I lost the ability to critique the research properly because it all seemed so much better than what I could ever produce. Of course I did not voice my concerns, since I thought I was the only one who felt that way. How common this was only became obvious to me much later. A colleague complimented me on how well I'd done in the working group, and I was shocked. Later on, at a party with a similar crowd, I asked during a wine-inspired rant about the stress of academia to show hands. How many of you have gotten psychological counselling for stress or depression related to work or university? Can you guess how many? It was all of us. We looked around at all the hands and just laughed. I have the greatest respect for all of them, academically and otherwise.
0: Sticking with the theme of academia, we go around the world from Germany to down under.
7: Hey fellow
8: Thwadballs, my name is Catherine. I'm 23 and from New South Wales in Australia. I'm at university studying social work. How dare I think I can help people when I'm so dumb myself? How dare I aspire to be any kind of authority figure when I'll just mess up other people's lives forever? There must have been some kind of mistake, or I've tricked people into allowing me into uni. No way am I worth investing important resources into. I don't work. I just suck up government money in an acceptable way. One day, people will get sick of me and stick me in a cleaning job or something where I belong. And I won't even be able to do that right. Intellectually, the evidence to the contrary is there. I'm getting good grades. WTF brain.
0: Did you know that in the Australian Outback, Outback Steakhouse is just called Steakhouse? It's true. So I'll join in here and share a story myself. Prior to getting into public radio a long, long time ago, I worked as an editor at Amazon.com. This was in the kind of early-ish days of the company, after the initial bursting to life, but before the Amazon tentacles reached all of our shopping experiences. I was hired to be the first ever editor for Amazon's electronic greeting card section. Don't look for it. It doesn't exist anymore. I was brought in with the title senior editor, and I had zero experience as an editor. I had zero experience working in a dot com and zero experience in greeting cards. I had written some funny stuff that appeared some places. I interviewed well and I got the job. So before I knew it, there I was in a cubicle having to figure out how to do all the things I was being described as being senior at. And it was at Amazon, so everything is moving a mile a minute. No one has time to explain anything to you. The little contact that I ever had with other editors in other parts of the company were mainly about their surprise that I had been given the senior editor title and their questions about what exactly I was doing there. And I didn't know. So all I could do was kind of nod along and then say something about metrics or scalability or XML or all these other terms I had heard knocked around that I didn't fully understand. And then walk away and go back to my desk and try to write a birthday card. After a few weeks of this, I went to see Susan, who was the editor in charge of all the editors. She was the one who hired me in the first place, and we got along really well. I told her that I really wanted to succeed for the company, for myself, for her, but that there was a problem in that I was a fraud. I did not know what I was doing, and rather than have someone from the HR department show up with a cardboard box and a security guard, I wanted to be up front with her about it right then. And Susan listened and finally said, Well, John, who is an expert at electronic greeting cards? I couldn't think of anyone who was. And where would we even find someone like that, she said. I don't know, Susan, but I feel like I'm making all this up as I go along. The company is just getting started, she said. The Internet, shopping on the Internet, is all just getting started. Yeah, okay. We're all imposters, she said. We're all making it up as we go along. That's what happens when you're doing something new. I don't know any smart, creative person who doesn't have imposter syndrome, said Susan. I was much less intimidated at work after that, but perhaps a bit more scared. All the hotshot business people in their khaki slacks, all the hipster web designers, all the brainy editors were just freaking winging it. There was no real expertise anywhere. So I felt more like one of the gang. Like we were a bunch of really inventive, creative, imaginative passengers on a plane trying to remain calm and figure out how to fly it because there was no pilot. But at least we're all on the plane together. I've kind of applied that same idea to the rest of the world. There are smart, well-trained people among us who are, of course, more than qualified to be doing what they're doing. And many among them feel like imposters anyway, because logic just doesn't enter into it all that much. I mean, it's like life in general, right? We're all just making it up as we go along. We'll be right back. The hilarious world of depression is supported by health partners and by makeitok.org. Make It Okay is a campaign to start conversations and stop the stigma surrounding mental illness. Not just depression, but all kinds of mental illnesses. We enjoy having some laughs on this show. It's a good way to deal with depression, it's a way of maybe demystifying depression a little bit, making it not so scary. But well, let's not kid ourselves. This is a serious disease. The good news is that people can and do recover. They get help. And that's why we need to make it okay to talk openly. It can be an awkward conversation, but makeitokay.org is full of information you can use, like what to say, what not to say, and stories from people who tell you what it's like to live with depression, anxiety, and other mental illnesses. Go to makeitokay.org where you can take the pledge to make it okay. Thank you so much to health partners and to Make It Okay for joining us in fighting stigma so we can all get better. We're getting your stories of fighting back against imposter syndrome when you achieve something and then your mind won't let you just be happy about it and you feel like you're going to be exposed as a fraud and carted away.
9: Hi, my name is Lucy Jane Dearden from Bountiful, Utah.
0: Lucy Jane says imposter syndrome makes her feel like she's in a sitcom on TV and she's not a functioning adult. She's
9: two toddlers standing on top of each other in a trench coat. Not that I don't consider toddlers as people. They are people too. Um but it's obvious they aren't adults. And but no one notices. No one calls them out. I'm just waiting for the shoe to drop or the lazy punchline of where everyone finds out I'm two three-year-olds with a preschool education instead of a sophomore in college. So this is feeling is all too familiar to me. Uh, so when I have it, I go through my collection of compliments. I've saved all the nice notes I've received throughout the years, and an I love Lucy lunchbox, which is a happy accident, I didn't plan that, Um, in hopes I have a Sally Field at the Academy Awards moment, like, uh, you like me, you really like me, or hey, I'm not a garbage person, I might have redeemable qualities and genuine talents, but there are moments where this doesn't do the trick, and I read them sort of as testimonials for
10: how I successfully fooled everyone over the years. Hi, I'm Alison Masia. I live in Australia on a beautiful part of the coastline just south of Sydney.
0: you got to stay with Alison here. This one takes some turns.
10: Throughout high school, I consistently placed in triple jump at state-level athletics carnivals, even though I didn't have a coach and I didn't train. Despite the medals, the fraud police told me that I wasn't good enough for a coach. Each medal was a fluke. Each medal was undeserved. In my 30s, I played roller derby. In my final home season, I was awarded MVP in the three out of the four games that we played. I believed I was chosen because the selection committee felt sorry for me, not because I actually played a good game. So, how do I cope? Well, throughout my life, I've just kept throwing myself back into the fire to prove to myself and to everyone else that I'm not an imposter. But that's exhausting and it's never enough. Now I'm becoming an an avoider, and that's really unhelpful. So I've christened my imposter syndrome Apocalypse Arshat. He's like the seven-headed beast. I've created an embroidery of his image, stabbing him thousands of times in the process. I'm surrounding him with beautiful flowers, And hopefully he will turn beautiful one day, too.
0: Okay, start with triple jump, swing by roller derby, wrap up with needlepoint dragon stabbing.
5: Hi, my name is Marie Brace, and I'm from Shakopee, Minnesota. My imposter story started when I was in 10th grade, when I raised my hand to ask a question in algebra class. When I did, my teacher asked me if I was stupid in front of the whole class. Having spent most of my life living with an anxiety disorder, I was diagnosed around eight, nine years old. I was devastated by this and decided to never ask another question throughout high school, which, of course, was a terrible idea.
0: Marie graduates with a 1.9 GPA, doesn't even think about college, just lets that one horrible remark by a thoughtless teacher define her.
5: But thankfully, there are people entered my life that saw potential in me that I hadn't discovered in myself. They believed in me enough to encourage me to go to college. So in my late 20s, I finally started college. Of course, I was on probation because of those high school grades, but I did get through that and later graduated with honors. And then, of course, I also went on to earn my MBA. Again, graduated with honors.
0: Cool. So she just achieved her way out of it. But whoops, if you've heard this show before, you know that's not how it works. Imposter syndrome wouldn't let Marie be proud of herself for everything that she had overcome.
5: I often attribute this to luck, and most of the time I still feel like that stupid algebra student. I have a successful career, I have a great family, I have successful children at this point, and I'm surrounded by brilliant people all the time who will surely find me out one day. My self-confidence has grown over the years, but I still have a lot of work to do. But in the meantime, I giggle to myself every day because it always feels like I'm getting away with something. Everybody has been fooled.
0: Hey, if you're stuck with imposter syndrome, might as well get a laugh out of it.
11: My name is Jacqueline Sinney, and I live in Brooklyn, New York.
0: Jacqueline first noticed imposter syndrome a while back at the wedding of a very good friend
11: where I was a bridesmaid, a situation where I was absolutely welcome and invited, but for some reason I couldn't shake the feeling that I did not fit in and that I was a burden and someone better should probably have been there and she just kind of felt bad for me, so she gave me an invite. At the time, I didn't really have any coping skills and just sort of played the part and tried to enjoy myself while spiraling really deeply and darkly and just being extremely miserable.
0: Since then, she's built a new strategy of going to her friends.
11: Who my therapist works very hard to convince me that I have.
0: And bouncing the whole I'm a fraud concept off them for a reality check.
11: They never agree with me, which is great. Um, It's the one time you want your friends to completely disagree with you is when you feel like you are an imposter. And I am honestly even having a little bit of imposter syndrome, talking about imposter syndrome, because I'm like, someone else probably feels this worse than me. So I really shouldn't be doing this. But here I am. And if the police want to come and get me, I'm ready. (laughs) But they haven't come yet. So fingers crossed.
0: For some people, friends aren't always the solution. Sometimes they're part of the problem.
12: My name is Jenny Perry, and I live in the suburbs of Chicago. I think I feel imposter syndrome the strongest when I'm in groups of friends. When one-on-one, I feel worthy and engaged and not self-conscious at all. But in groups, I always feel like I don't belong there, like there's been some mistake and they just invited me out of pity and that everyone else would be having more fun if I wasn't around.
0: To deal with all that, Jenny activates Oprah mode or Terry Gross mode, depending on how you roll.
12: To counteract it, I try to focus on my friends as much as possible. I keep the conversation on them and try to ask them details about their day or whatever topic we're talking about at the time. Um, By keeping the conversation on them, it also kind of takes the pressure off of me to guide the conversation because social anxiety is something else I deal with too.
0: When it comes to the potential appearance of the fraud police, who will expose her lies, Jenny calms her anxiety by daydreaming about a character played by a character from her favorite show.
12: I would really hope that they would look like Burt Macklin, FBI, a.k.a. Andy Dwyer from Parks and Recreation.
0: To briefly unpack that, Chris Pratt played a character named Andy Dwyer on the sitcom Parks and Recreation. Andy Dwyer, the character, liked to pretend that he was an FBI agent named Burt Macklin. That leaves four suspects. There's only one man for this job. Burt Macklin. FBI. They said I was retired they said I was too dangerous for the Pawnee Police Department. Turns out they were right. And wrong
12: because uh, good God, Parks and Rec is my happy place and security blanket. And that show uh, really has helped me through some dark times and always puts a smile on my face. My name is Rachel Ambrose, and I live in
13: Bethel, Connecticut.
0: Imposter syndrome followed Rachel into her kitchen.
13: It's to the point where anytime I'm cooking a new recipe for people, I'll get those circling thoughts that say, this is going to be horrible and nobody's going to like it. And everyone's going to hate you for making this horrible thing. Keep in mind, I've been cooking and baking for about 10 years now. I've sold my baked goods for actual physical money. And I don't hang out with people who would hate me forever just because a dish I made for them was less than stellar. I'm pretty sure those people don't actually exist, but try telling that to my brain. I think my imposter syndrome is really just a very mean ploy that my brain does when it thinks I'm stepping too far out of my box, or dreaming too big, or asking too much. But usually, when I do any of these things, it turns out that I'm on the right path. So screw you, imposter syndrome! Stop trying to hold me back.
14: Hi everyone. My name is Thibaut de Lambert, and I live in Paris, France. I have a nine years old daughter, and. um, And when I feel really down, I cannot help myself thinking that she would be happier if she had another dad. To help me going through these wonderful moments, I recall the day she was born. I was there, and uh, when the nurse gave her to me to hold her for the first time, I told her, Hey, I'm your dad, and I'm gonna love you with everything I am. And... I started to sing her a lullaby, that, that memory helps me to fight my imposter syndrome. Well, that's all for me, folks, and uh, remember, you, know, you, you are not alone, so try to keep safe. Bye.
0: Here's a little apropos music I stumbled on. I searched on Spotify for music about imposter syndrome, and I found this song called Imposter Syndrome by singer-songwriter Sidney Gish.
15: a so human being gotta be like what's a way to just be competent these instincts ruin my
0: Hilarious World of Depression is produced by American Public Media. Our producer is Chrissy Pease. Christina Lopez is our web and social media Caesar. Kate Moose is executive producer. Engineering help this time around by Cliff Bentley. Our technical director was John Miller. Our theme song was written and performed by Rhett Miller. No relation. If you need help, Confidential Help is available at the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, 1-800-273-8255. It's free, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 1-800-273-8255. The Hilarious World of Depression is supported by Health Partners and MakeItOK.org. Make it okay is a campaign to start conversations and stop the stigma around mental illness. MakeItOK.org has information that can help you and your loved ones. Starting the conversation can be awkward. Make it okay has tips on what to say, what not to say, stories of hope from people who have been there. You can take the pledge to make it okay at MakeItOK.org. Hilariousworld.org is our web home. We're also on Twitter. And be sure to come visit us on Facebook. A lot of great conversation over there with your fellow thwadballs, new shows being formed even as we speak. It's a good hang. On our next episode, rapper Open Mike Eagle was a pretty bookish kid until a book told him to get out into
2: the world. But when I read this book, it kind of laid out that if you want to associate yourself with hip-hop you can't just be um a bystander like you have to do the things you have to contribute yeah um so it laid out okay graffiti emceeing break dancing and djing like these are the things that you have to do some measure of these things
0: i'm john moe bye
2: now
15: I'm a sad clown, tell me something I don't know